welcome everybody to our New Year's Eve services this weekend. It's good to be here. Everybody have a good Christmas this year? Yeah? Good Christmas? Good. I had a great Christmas. I love Christmas, but now it's New Year's. Hey, and I love New Year's uh, for a couple reasons. One reason is uh, that I think New Year's is a, a great way for people to get a fresh start. Like It's, it's like this once-a-year thing where you get to clean your slate or, or start over, start afresh. But there, there are also some things that um, I don't like about New Year's, and one of those things is uh, New Year's resolutions. Because uh, I can't keep New Year's resolutions. Is anybody else like me? Come on. You can't keep it. Yeah. Amen. Cool. Hey, how many people in the room today you would say, I've set a New Year's resolution before, or I'm going to set a New Year's Come on. Yeah, yeah. I'd say probably most of us, we've set New Year's resolutions before. And like I said, I, I don't like New Year's resolutions because I, I don't keep them very well. Like if I were to set a New Year's resolution to like not eat McDonald's McChickens, that'd last like one day, maybe at most, you know, and then I'd give up because you know, listen, don't judge me. You've done the same thing. Okay. You've done the same thing. Um, back when I was in high school, uh, two of my football coaches, they took me and like six or seven or eight of my best friends kind of under their wing. And we started this small group that we had that we held every single Sunday night, almost for four years. So it was awesome. These two guys were incredible. This is how I, I really started following Jesus was through this small group. But every single year, uh, these two guys, they, they were all about New Year's resolutions. Okay. One of them, I remember his New Year's resolution was to eat only fruit every Wednesday for the whole year. So like <laughs> he would eat only fruit for the whole day. He said it was terrible. So don't try it. <laughs> I just remember, he, he, I would, he would go to bed and he'd be like, listen, my stomach was just gargling. It was so bad. So don't try that, that New, Year's re, New Year's resolution. But these two guys, they love New Year's resolutions, and they pushed us uh, to set these big goals for the year as well. So I remember my senior year rolled around, and, and previously that year I had just like really started following Jesus in my life. You know, I got serious about my faith. And so I was all amped up. You know, I was, I, I was excited. I was ready. And I was like, this is my year to set a New Year's resolution. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go big. I'm going to do something for God this year. And, and I'm going to look back at the end of the year and think, wow, you did it, Cole. Good job. Something like that. And so I, I decided that year, my senior year, my New Year's resolution was going to be that I was going to, I'm not kidding you, I was going to fast every Tuesday. <laughs> that, that's not an easy goal, okay? That's hard to do. I was going to fast every single Tuesday. That means I don't eat the whole day every Tuesday. That's, I only eat six of the seven days, okay? And so I was really excited about this. I was like, listen, I'm going to grow closer to God doing this. I'm, uh, you know, I, I got all hyped up. And so the first Tuesday rolls around, you know, I get up out of bed and I run downstairs and, you know, my mom, she's like, hey, you want to eat breakfast? I'm like, get behind me, Satan. You know, you, don't tempt me, mom. I'm trying to fast sort of thing. It's my New Year's resolution. And so, you know, I, I went probably three quarters of the day and I swam. And so, you know, I at that time in the year I was in swimming. And so, you know, I probably went to swim practice. And listen, I was just starving. OK, starving. Like I thought I was going to pass out. I was so hungry. And I remember I just went home and I, I ate a ton of food. So <laughs> my New Year's resolution didn't last even one week. And so I gave up. I didn't even go back to it for the rest of the year. But listen, don't judge me. You've done the same thing. Um, we, we've all done something like that before in our lives. But there is something that I do like about New Year's resolutions. And the thing that I like is, is that I think it reveals our heart as humans uh, to get better. 
it, it reveals our desire to move forward, whether it's physically or spiritually or emotionally or in whatever way. You want to get better in your life. You want to move forward in your life. And you, essentially, you want good for you, right? You want good for you. It's like, I want good for me. That's why I set goals in my life is because I want good for me. And so today, like you saw in the video, we're going to be talking about the new year, 2018, 2018. And I, if you watch TV or if you watch, I'm a huge YouTube guy, uh, every single year at the end of the year, they do these like recaps where it's like the, the year in music. You ever seen those? It's like the best music of 2017 or the best movies or, you know, the best things that happened throughout the year. But today, I don't want to look backwards because we had a great year, didn't we? We had a great year. Uh, but I want to I look forward. And I believe that not only we want good for our lives, like we don't just want good for us, but I believe that in order for us to look forward and understand how we can have the best year yet, title of the message should be up there, I hope. The best year yet, uh, we have to understand that God also wants good for our lives. God also wants good things for our lives. And so my first point this morning, and we have to understand this in order to even move forward today, is that God is a good God. God is a good God. And I don't know where we got this idea that God is up in heaven and he's mad at us and he can't wait for us to mess up. And, and he, you know, he, he's just waiting to like punish us. But no, I don't, you know, I think God is a good God. And I believe that this year, not only do we want the best for us, but God wants us to have a good year as well. And so I believe that. Do you believe that? God wants us to have a good year. But before we move forward with talking about that, I think we've got to define what good is. What does it mean for God to want us to have a good year? Because here's the reality, guys. Um, for some person in the room today, maybe multiple people, you are going to have the hardest year financially that you'll ever have. Or for somebody in the room, you might have to fight for your marriage harder than you've ever had to fight before. Or for somebody, you might, you might have a disease. Or for somebody else, you might lose a family member or a friend or even multiple. And this year might be really hard. But, but here's the thing I know, guys, is that I believe that in the midst of trials and in the midst of struggles like these, that God still has a good plan for our lives and and god cares more about what happens in us than he cares about what happens to us because the reality is is that things will happen to you this year things are going to happen in 2018 that you don't like but god cares more about what happens in you than what happens to you and guess what he's got good things planned for what he's going to do in you okay i love there's a story in in the book of acts chapter 16 one of my favorite stories of all time there are these two guys, and I'm going to shorten this up real quick, okay? If you've never read this story, you've got to go read it. It's good stuff. Two guys named Paul and Silas. Maybe you've heard of them. Um, Paul and Silas, they were missionaries. They were traveling around the Mediterranean Rim over in the Middle East, planting churches in all these cities. And they come to this city, and long story short is they get captured for talking about Jesus. And they get drugged through the streets in front of these religious officials. Uh, they get beat real bad they get just beat up beat the crap out of them uh they get their clothes stripped off of them so they're naked and they get thrown in jail and not only that they're not only just in jail you know with their face bleeding and swollen and crying but they get their feet fastened into stocks so they can't even move <laughs> that's a bad day right <laughs> 
that's a bad day. What the Bible tells us is that Paul and Silas, in the midst of these things that were happening to them, they sang songs of worship to God. And because of their praise to God, he set them free. He set them free. And so we see an example of, of Paul and Silas. They understand this. It doesn't matter what happens to me. What matters is what happens in me. And we can live a good life if we understand that God wants to do something good in our lives. And so today, I want to help us uh, try to understand how we can have the best year yet. Maybe this past year was a good one. I promise this next year can be even better. And I want to help you, I want to help you understand how you can do that. So I've got four more points today. I know a, a real sermon is only three points, but this one's four, so you get some extra love from me today. Um, the, the notes are in your bulletins if you want to follow along with that. Also the scripture references. Uh, so here's the first point today. Do the ordinary extraordinarily. Do the ordinary extraordinarily. Uh, there's an awesome story in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, about a guy named Saul. Now listen, some of these stories I'm going to talk about today, they're too long to read because we only have a limited amount of time. So I'm just going to tell them to you in what I call the Kolfarlo translation, okay? That's my way, how I read the Bible. You can understand my, how I think. It's, it's weird, but it's fun, okay? So there's this awesome story in 1 Samuel chapter 9 about a guy named Saul. And if you don't know anything about Saul, Saul was the first ever king of Israel. Okay, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Israel was God's chosen nation. They were a big nation at this time. And so Saul was the first ever king of Israel. And so in this story, we, we, we rewind a little bit to Saul as a young man. Saul is a young man. And so what happens is one morning, you know, Saul's dad, he wakes up, he goes downstairs, and, you know, I don't know, he probably pours himself a cup of coffee, turns on the news. I don't know what he did back then. Uh, but, he, you know, he's getting ready for the morning. And so he walks outside. He's going to check on the animals. He walks out there, and he sees that no way the animal gate was left open by somebody last night. And all the donkeys are missing. <laughs> all the donkeys. By the way, this is a real story, okay? So Saul's dad... He, he gets real scared. He's like, these are our donkeys. We can't lose them. These are our livelihood. We got to sell these. We got to eat these. We got to sacrifice these to the Lord. You know, animals were a big deal back then. That was kind of how you measured your wealth. And so Saul's dad, he runs inside. He gathers his family. He wakes them all up. And he sends all his kids and all of his family out to look for these donkeys, okay? So they're out about, they're looking for donkeys. They can't find the donkeys anywhere. Time passes, you know, a day passes, a night passes, and they get, you know, so far down the road that they, they realize, hey, let's give up. You know, we're probably not going to find these donkeys. You know, we, we've been looking forever. We can't find them. Let's give up. And so Saul, this, this, awesome, this awesome young man, he has this, this, this moment of, like, rejuvenation. He says, listen, I'm not giving up, y'all. I'm not giving up on these donkeys. And so he says, I'm, you know, I, I've heard about this guy named Samuel. And Samuel, he's, he, like, he's in cahoots with God. Um, he, he hears from God. God hears from him. He's a prophet. And so I think if we find this guy named Samuel, uh, he's, he can help us find our donkeys. And so they set out looking for this guy named Samuel, the prophet of the Lord. And they get to the edge of this mountain, and, and he's like, I think that this is where Sam lives. And so they start walking up the mountain, and at the top of the mountain, they see Samuel, and Saul runs up to him, and he says, Saul, I need you to help me find my donkeys. Listen, can you ask God to help, to help us find our donkeys? And I, I love this part of the story. Samuel just looks at Saul, and I can imagine that he just grinned, <laughs> just kind of smiled and chuckled and looked at him, and, and he said, Samuel, or he said, Saul, you are destined by God to be the first ever king of Israel. 
you are destined by God to be the first ever king of Israel. And Saul, in his search for donkeys, stumbled upon his destiny. Saul, in his search for donkeys, stumbled upon his destiny. It was this mundane task that he he was given by his father, that he decided, I'm going to do this well. I'm not going to give up. And in Saul's search for his donkeys, he stumbled upon his destiny. Now, church, let me tell you something. Every person in this room, if you look around, every single person has been given, you have been tasked with ordinary, everyday things. Like every person, I've got this, you've got this, we wake up, you know, we have been given things that we are to do. Our families, our kids, our jobs, whatever it is. Maybe some of you have been doing them for years. But let me tell you something, is that if we can learn as, as the body of Christ, as individuals who follow Jesus, to do ordinary tasks extraordinarily, God can use you for his kingdom. God, you will stumble upon your destiny. If you can learn to do these ordinary things, maybe you're a, a school bus driver, drive the bus better than anybody for the kingdom of God. If you're a teacher, teach better than anybody for the kingdom of God. If you're a nurse, care for people better than anybody for the kingdom of God because God will use you for extraordinary things. I love the story in the Gospels where Jesus, he's out, he's walking around, he's looking for uh, disciples. You know, he just sets out one day, he's like, I'm going to go find some people to follow me. And uh, so he starts walking down the road, he sees these guys fishing, and I love Jesus, because he always, he always asks questions that he already knows the answer to. I think it's hilarious, right? He's like sarcastic, and kind of, he's funny. He's got a sense of humor. And so he walks up to these fishermen, he's like, hey, what are, what are y'all doing? They're like, we're fishing. <laughs> we're fishing. He's like, how long have you guys been doing this? You know, and they probably said, you know, we've been doing this for a long, a long time. Probably they had probably been doing this for their whole lives. This was how they, you know, fed their families. This is how they cared for themselves. This is how they took the girl out on the date on the Friday night. You know, this is what they've been doing for a long time. So they had learned the the tricks of the trade. They had learned these these skills, these things that they were that were necessary to catch fish well. These ordinary tasks. And Jesus looks at him and he says, listen, these ordinary things that you've learned to do in catching fish every day, yeah, I want to take those skills and those techniques and all those things, and I want to teach you how to not just fish for fish, but to fish for people. I want to teach you how to fish for hearts, for the kingdom of God. And see, guys, what we see here is that God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And that if we learn to, to take our ordinary lives and to, to live it out extraordinarily, we can have a good 20, 2018. We can have a good 2018. That's just my first point. I got three more. So strap in. <laughs> Thank you. She says, go Cole. I need, I need people like you. So, uh, second point, well, it's technically third point, is this. Fight the right fights. Fight the right fights. Uh, there's a story in the book of Mark, chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 6, if you want to look that up later, uh, where we find Jesus in a synagogue on the Sabbath day, okay? Jesus in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. So it's the equivalent of, you know, us in church on a Sunday. Same thing for Jesus. He's, he's at church worshiping, okay? You know, band, good band, good lights, live stream. You know, people are watching from home. Jesus is in church on a Sunday sort of thing, okay? So Jesus is in there. He's worshiping. God, you know, he, he's, he's praising the Lord, and uh, he turns to his left, and he sees this man who's got, the Bible says, a shriveled hand. And I don't know what that means, but I'm guessing it's not good, right? 
I'm guessing it's not good. And so Jesus sees this guy with a shriveled hand, and so he walks around. He doesn't care what anybody else is thinking. He walks over to this man. He puts his hand on the guy's shoulder, and he prays for him, and the guy's hand goes back to normal, to being healthy. And Jesus sees this, uh, this as an opportunity to redeem something that was broken. This is what he does time and time again. He redeems the broken. He, he renews what was, is not right. And what you have to understand, though, is in this church, in this synagogue, there are throughout the room, there are what are called Pharisees. And Pharisees are people who are teachers of the law. They're like the pastors of the ancient Jewish religion. They came up with the rules, and they decided the punishment for the rules, okay? These guys are like the police of Judaism, okay? And so the Bible tells us that the Pharisees, they saw what Jesus did. He walked over. They're in the middle of their worship song, and he walked over, and he healed this guy. And the Pharisees says, or the Bible says the Pharisees got up and left because they were so mad, and they plotted to kill Jesus because of what he did. They plotted to kill him. Because you see, back then there were these very, very strict laws about the Sabbath day that these Pharisees came up with. Like crazy laws, like rules that were almost impossible. Like you couldn't leave your house for a certain amount of time. You couldn't buy anything. You couldn't shake certain people's hands. You couldn't, you know, and, and the, the most important thing of all was you can't work on the Sabbath day. And so they saw Jesus going up to this guy and healing him as an act of work. And so they were mad because he broke one of their rules. And what we see here in the story is an example of, of religious people fighting for the wrong things, right? Religious people fighting for the wrong things. Because Jesus makes it clear both in this story and in the rest of the Gospels that our main fight is for other people. We are to fight for other people like he did. We are to fight to redeem other people. We're to, we're, we are to fight to bring lost people, to reconcile lost people back to the Father. Paul says that is our fight and guys I don't know about you but I've been in churches before where people cared more about what you were wearing than what was going on in here people cared more about the music and how loud it was and the type of music than what was going on here than how than how you were praising God that's they cared more about the type of music people cared People cared more about who you voted for in the last election rather than what was going on in here. Guys, I think as the American Christian church, we have gotten stuck in sometimes fighting for the wrong things. I just came from a church uh, a few years ago, amazing, amazing church. I'm not saying anything negative about this church. It was an amazing church. Uh, and I was working there part-time while I was in college uh, with the student ministry there. Uh, but I remember we had this, it was this real big sanctuary, okay? And, and it, was, it was a big church, so it was a huge sanctuary. But this thing was like 30 years old, okay? It was ugly, uglier than sin, okay? It was, I'm not kidding you. The whole thing was red. The carpet, like, I don't, if you guys have ever, ever been in the other building, they have that, like, carpeted steps that go up to where the person speaks. One of those deals. The pews, we had pews, they were red carpet. And this isn't, like, dark red. This is, like, bright red, like blood. <laughs> okay, it was ugly. <laughs> really ugly. And so we, as, as a staff, we decided, listen, we got to update this thing. It's, you know, we're trying to grow. We're trying to reach people. we got to update our sanctuary. And so we begun the process of ripping out the pews and ripping out the red carpet. And, you know, we were going to go to something that looked a little bit more like this. And listen to me, guys. You wouldn't believe the things that we heard from people. 
like people left the church because we were not doing, they thought we were sinning against God by changing the sanctuary. I'm not kidding. And guys, I think sometimes there are people, Christians, that fight for the wrong things. Guys, I see issues in our world like, man, like racism, like abortion, hate, oppression, poverty, stuff like these, this stuff like this that I think Jesus really, really cares about. I think these are the fights that Jesus wants us to fight, fight for people that don't know him. Fight for lost people, not fight about what color the walls are. And listen, guys, I I love this church so much. This is like my favorite church ever because we as a church do pretty well at this, right? I I feel like I I love this this group, this family, because I feel like we've gotten a good grip on the right fights to fight for. Like that's, that's, I think, why we're so vibrant and why God loves to work here is because I think we've got a good grip on this. But listen, I, I think what if we got... We took our our time that we spent on Facebook arguing our points on politics and arguing our our theological debates, and we took that time and put it into our next-door neighbor. What if we took that time, and listen, I'm going to plug my own ministry. What if we took that time, and you said, I'm going to mentor a student for an hour a week, somebody that needs an adult, somebody that needs somebody that has figured stuff out. I'm just going to mentor one younger person a week. Guys, I'll, I'll use uh, abortion as an example. A lot of people love to fight against abortion. I think that that's a very good thing to fight against. But listen, here's how you fight against these issues. You don't pick it. You don't post on Facebook. You find a, a young mother, young single mother, to-be mother, who doesn't know what she's going to do, and you put your arms around her, you love her, you hold her hand, you say, hey, I love you. Hey, in fact, I'm going to bring you to, I've got, I'm a part of a sweet church, and you know, we're going to go to church, and it's not just going to be me that's love. It's a bunch of people that are going to surround you and care for you no matter what. That's how you love people, guys. That's how you fight the right fights. You find somebody in need, and you meet the need. And, guys, I believe that this year, 2018, this church, we're going to be, Bobby loves to tell stories through video. We're gonna, we can't play enough videos for how many stories we're going to have because you guys chose to fight the right fights. We're going to be hearing stories of people coming to Jesus because somebody that knew Jesus fought for them. And that's, man, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. And that's the kind of church I know we are, guys. And so this year, I believe we can have a good year if we buckle down and say, I'm going to fight the right fights. Man, whoo! We're going. As Pastor Greg says, that's good preaching. In my mind, it is at least. Uh, third point, it's a good point, I forget which one it is, let me check, I gotta look at my notes, uh, third point is this, will the change in your life, or fourth point, I keep messing that up, will the change in your life, um, let's have some fun here, if, let's say God shows up today, which he did, um, but he shows up to you personally, like at your house, and he says, listen, hey, you, I wanna do, I'm gonna grant you a wish, I'm gonna change one thing about you, and I'm just going to do it like this. Okay, how many would, would take him up on that offer? Come on. Yeah, everybody. If your hand's not up, you're lying. Everybody, you would agree, I would change something about myself if I could, like in an instant, right? Because that'd be sweet. Like for me, I'd love to be ripped, you know? I'd love to be, I'd love to be ripped and strong. Uh, 
on a more serious note, I would love to love people. I'd love to love my wife better. I would love to serve my church more. I'd love to serve the students that I work with better. I would love to do all these. I would love to change all these things about me, right? But here's the thing, is that wanting change in your life will never change you. Like you could be here in the room today and you could want change in your life more than any person here. But here's the thing, is that wanting change in your life will never change you. Like you could want it so bad, but that's not going to change you. And I'll prove it to you is because you've tried to quit things before. You've tried to quit smoking. You've tried to quit looking at those things on the internet. You've tried to quit doing these things that are unhealthy for you. You've tried to start doing these things that you know you should start doing. You've tried to start eating healthier and working out and, you know, spending more time with Jesus. But you're like me and you fail after the first day. Because wanting change in your life isn't what's going to change you. But here's the thing, guys, is that if you can will the change in your life, God can change you. If you can learn to will the change in your life, God can change you. Then the question becomes, well, how do I will change in my life, Cole? Well, I'm glad you asked because uh, I have a verse. Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 2, Paul, is, is he's sending a letter to the Romans. And he just got done saying, you know, you're loved, you're accepted, God loves you, all this stuff. And he says, but now you've got to change. And then this is how he he tells them they need to change. Romans 12, chapter 2. He says this, do not, be, do not conform to the patterns of this world. In other words, don't be changed by what's going on in the world. Don't let every, what everybody else is doing change you. And then he goes on to say, but be transformed or be changed by the renewing of your mind. Be changed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean, Paul? It means that if you want to will the change in your life, you've got to learn to change your thoughts. You've got to change your thoughts from, I'm not good enough, I'm not loved, I'm dirty, I'm unworthy, I'm an addict, I'm a bad husband, I'm a bad wife, I'm a bad father, I'm a bad mother, I'm a bad Christian, God doesn't want me, God doesn't like me as much as he likes that person. You've got to learn to change your thoughts from that to, I am, I am loved by God. I am in his family. I am royalty in the kingdom of God. Did you know that? The Bible says that you are co-heirs with Christ, which means you are heirs to the throne of God, the greatest kingdom in history. You are royalty in that kingdom. That's crazy. If you can learn to say things about yourself like, I am not an addict. I am a great husband. I'm a great wife. I'm a great father. I'm a great mother. I am... Just come, I am, you, God's got a plan for my life. He wants to use me. If you can change your thoughts from these negative thoughts to these positive thoughts, guess what? God can change your life. God can change your life. Because you are, what, what you're doing is you're starting to think how he thinks. It's the mind of Christ. And you can change, you can will the change in your life if you have the mind of Christ. And Paul tells us that, Paul tells us this in, in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 and if you want to have a great year this year if this is your year you say i want i want 2018 to be the year where i i change we've got to learn to will the change in our lives through changing our thoughts listen i tell my students this sometimes if you struggle with having bad thoughts about yourself go home today buy an expo marker who cares what your family thinks um buy an expo marker and start writing on your mirror the things that god says about you you're loved you're worthy, you're powerful, you're a son, you're a daughter, stuff like that. And you can 
have a great year if uh, you learn to will the change in your life. Hey, I got one more thing. Ben, why don't you come up here and help me land this plane, please? Thank you. Last, last thing of the day is, is uh, it's a simple one. It's, it's to trust in God. Trust in God. The word for trust or faith or believe in the Greek language, which is the, the language that the New Testament was originally written in, is the word pistis. Pistis. No, I'm not cursing. I'm saying pistis. Or the verb form pisteuo, or I, I trust, I believe, I have faith, pisteuo. And I love this word. I love doing, I, I studied Greek in college a little bit, and it's so fun because uh, Greek words to these people and, and even Hebrew words in the Old Testament, they, they had a lot more meaning than we tend to give our words. And so this word for trust in, in Greek held much more meaning. It, was, it, it, was, it had a lot more depth to it. So if you were to say, I trust in you or I trust in that, it, was, it wasn't just you saying, I trust in, in this, like I believe that, that you can do what you say you're going to do. It was, I trust in you with my life. Like, if, if you say you're going to do this, I'm betting my life that you're going to do this. And so this word held a lot of weight. And this is the word pisteuo, pistis, that Jesus used in the Gospels to, when he told people, trust in me. <laughs> trust in me. And the best, uh, the best illustration I can think of for this, this kind of trust uh, is in a story of a guy named Charles Blondin. Maybe you've heard of this guy before, but Charles uh, Blondin was a tightrope walker in the early 1800s, and uh, he was probably the best tightrope walker of all time up until this point uh, in history, like in the world. He was so good, he walked across tightropes uh, across the Niagara Falls, and he walked across tightropes on stilts, thousands of feet up. He walked across tightropes in a sack, I don't know how you do that, but he did it. Um, one time, I'm not kidding you, this is a real story. He walked halfway down a tightrope, sat down, uh, cooked an omelet, don't know how he did that either, and then ate the omelet, and then finished his walk on the tightrope. <laughs> and so this guy, he became really popular. He started, you know, building this, this big following in his, in his work. And, and people, you know, they didn't have anything to do. They didn't have cell phones back then or anything. So he would draw these huge crowds. And so one day he went to the crowd before he was going to do his thing. And he said, hey, do you guys trust in me? Do you guys trust that I can make it across this tightrope doing pretty much anything? And they're all like, yes, 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 Char Charles, we believe in you. You can do it. You can do it. And he says, how many of y'all think that I can walk across this tightrope with uh, a wheelbarrow? And everybody's like, they scream, yeah, you can do it, you can do it. Can't believe it, he's going to do it, you can do it. And then there, he goes, how many of you think that I can walk across this tightrope with a person in the wheelbarrow? And they're all like, yes, you can do it, Charles, you got this. We trust in you. And then he looks around and he says, all right, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> and as you can imagine, nobody got in. <laughs> I think that this is a perfect example of something that we struggle with, y'all. Is we say with our mouths, God, we trust in you. We'll even, we'll even shout it. We'll show up to church and we'll, we'll lift our hands and we'll shout it. God, we trust in you. But I think the struggle is, are we really putting our lives in Jesus' hands? Do we have the trust in God that says, 
Lord, I trust you. If you ask me to, to get up and move, I will. Lord, if you ask me to quit my job, I will. God, if you ask me to give to the church or give to the poor more than I can even afford, God, I will. Do we have that kind of trust, church? Listen, I pray that this year, this church sets an example for Muncie, Indiana, and the, the rest of the United States on what it looks like to trust God with our lives. I pray that this is the year that we stand together and we said, no matter what He asks of us, we are going to do it. Because we, we trust in Him. We trust in you, God. We're getting in the wheelbarrow. And no matter how risky it might seem, no matter what He asks, we stand firm in our trust in Him. Because we know that He is God and He is good. Listen, let me encourage you for a second. God's never failed anybody in the history of the universe. And listen, He will not start with you. He won't start with you. And so my question this morning is, what are you waiting on, church? What are you waiting on? And so today, I want to invite you to trust in Him. To put it all in His hands. Because it's the best decision you'll ever make. And so, funny coincidence, we're singing a song right now about trusting in God. And in a moment here, we're going to stand. And listen, I don't know if you, maybe you normally don't raise your hands or maybe you normally don't kneel down at your seat or whatever. But I want to encourage you, if God is calling you to trust in Him more, I, I want you to respond. Maybe you need to come down here and kneel. I don't know. But I want you to respond today. Because trusting in God is the best decision you will ever make in your life. And if we can learn how to do that, guys, this year is going to be the best year that we've ever seen. That we've ever seen. And I can't wait. So, Lord, thank you so much for today, God. Thank you for this church. Lord, we just praise you for what you've done in the past, God. But the past is behind us. We are excited about the future, Lord. We're excited what you have for us as a body, God. What you have for us individually, Lord. And we're expectant that this is our year, God, that we, we see breakthrough in people's lives and in this city, God. Lord, I pray that today would be a, a marker for the day that we all collectively stand and, and say, God, we trust in you. We give it all to you, Lord. Jesus, we love you and everything we do here is for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand and sing this.